Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, how many of you today would say, I want to be a hypocrite? No takers? Okay, so let me sweeten it a little bit. How about you like to be a self-righteous hypocrite? No, huh? Well, here's the question. What if in some areas of your life you already are? See, that's the challenge for us to to give some thought here today. None of us would say, oh yeah, that's my goal in life. Always wanted to be a self-righteous hypocrite. And yet if we look at our lives, maybe, just maybe, there's some attitudes of that there. There are some things that don't belong. And so as we're talking about getting to know Jesus, we're gonna get to know something else about him and how he feels about uh, this issue and uh, hopefully it'll help to transform us in the sermon series we've already talked about, Jesus values weakness, because when we are weak, then we are in a place where we have to depend on God, and, and that ends up being what we need to be doing. Uh, we saw that we need to love people and care about people enough to tell them the truth, even when it's hard. And, and last week we saw that God, or that Jesus values faith, and he expects us to have it, and that we are indeed capable of having it. So let's focus in on this next thing that we want to learn about Jesus and what he's like. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke again, because all these sermons are coming out of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 13. It's page 1201 in the Bible that's there under the chairs. If you don't have your own Bible with you today, I encourage you to take one of those and follow along. I think it'll be helpful to you, and we'll give you the page numbers as you need them. Luke chapter 13, page 1201, starting in verse number 10. It says, now he, and so we're talking about Jesus here, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And I, I think you're, most of you are probably familiar with the idea of the Sabbath. This, was the, this is a Saturday. This is the day that the Jewish people, that God had actually instructed the Jewish people to set aside to be a day when they didn't work but instead they, they uh, focused on God and, and the truths about God. Started on a Friday night at sunset, went to Saturday night on a sunset. And so on that day, on Saturday, Jesus is teaching in one of their synagogues. Verse 11, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. And so somehow rather, you know, what this looked like, we aren't sure, but you know, she was obviously bent over. Maybe it was an issue of her spine. Uh, we're not sure. Uh, but she was, this infirmity, this weakness, this uh, whatever it was, prevented her from being able to stand up. And how long was it? 18 years. We don't know how old she was, but that's a long time, isn't it? Verse 12, but when Jesus saw her, so we get the impression he was teaching and all of a sudden he saw her. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. You're you're set free from that. 
And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. No, <laughs> wouldn't you? Man, this is like amazing, like us and to feel free and able to move and not stuck anymore. Uh, she has been set free in her response, rightly so, to glorify God. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, notice he didn't say to Jesus, he turns to the crowd and says, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. So there was this prevailing belief among a lot of these uh, religious teachers of the day that, that uh, healing was doing work, okay? And um, well, let's just see what Jesus has to say about that, okay? Verse 15. The, the Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? All right, so you know you have to, to provide for your livestock and so you'll do that. You'll walk them to the water and make sure they have water and you care about your livestock. Verse 16, so ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, no, she's, she's a, a, one of God's people, a Jewish woman, whom Satan has bound, and let's just stop there. When he says Satan is bound here, I don't think that we're talking about that this is a, a satanic thing that's happened or a demonic thing. It's that what is the origin of the sin in our world? It's Satan's what? Temptation of Adam and Eve and all of the sickness and all of the problems ever since have come from that, okay? And he's saying that this woman has been tormented by uh, this sin that's entered the world you know, through Satan and his temptation. But anyway, so it says, whom Satan has bound, think of it. He really emphasizes this. Think of it. For 18 years, ought she not to be loose from this bond on the Sabbath? Shouldn't set her free from this because it's the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, it sounds kind of like, it. well, duh, of course this makes sense to us, doesn't it? But most of us here, maybe all of us, have never labored under um, the Jewish law and things related to the Sabbath and things like that. So we don't understand necessarily. Um, they didn't quite know what to make of all this. But Jesus is making it clear here that this ruler of the synagogue was speaking as a hypocrite because he took care of his livestock on the Sabbath but didn't want this woman to be healed on the Sabbath. Something else is going on here. Let's go over to chapter 18, the second story. It's page 1207. Verse number nine, Luke 18, verse nine. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And this is, 
that where we get this idea of self-righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And I'll elaborate on that a little more in just a minute. But they, that, that trusting in themselves that they were righteous, it seems to be somehow really connected with how they look at other people, too. They despised others, it says. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now he, he this, is, this is like about as, as far on the spectrums as you can get. Uh, we've talked a little about this recently, but let me remind you that the Pharisees came into existence uh, during the time when the Jews had been taken out into captivity and there was no temple, there was no place to offer the sacrifices and how do we keep the law, how do we not lose our Jewishness and then even as people that came back to Israel, boy, the, the whole Greek culture that had come in was affecting things. And, and so they, the Pharisees arose, how do we make sure that we remain consistent with being Jews and, and understand what it means to follow the law and to honor God? Start off as a very good thing. By the time of Christ, the majority of the Pharisees had become just hard, rules-based, um, judgmental. There were some who were still very sincere. We see a few of them in the scriptures. But most of them had just become hard. Very self-righteous. And the other one is a tax collector. <laughs> Did any of you ever grow up saying, man, I want to be an IRS agent? Right? And that's an honorable job. I'm not saying it isn't. But my point is, right, we don't think it even in our day. But for this day, a tax collector was also sort of, you view them as a traitor because they had gone to work for the Roman oppressors to collect the taxes on you. Not to mention that how they made their money was charging you extra. And so they could charge you a lot, and you didn't have any choice, you just had to pay them, all right? So we have this, this wide spectrum here, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they, they both went up to the temple to pray. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13 here. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this, he says, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so Jesus says the tax collector walked away right with God. The tax collector walked away righteous before God. And this Pharisee who held him up to be himself to be righteous and, and, and talked about his, oh, his great righteousness, he went home still unrighteous, even though he thought he wasn't. And so we see this issue of self-righteousness here. Self-righteousness, hypocrisy and self-righteousness. But I really want to focus in on the self-righteous aspect of this today. 
A person who is self-righteous sets themselves up as the standard. How I live life is the right way. And then I, I judge myself on that basis. Well, obviously, if I'm living this way, it's what? It's right. And um, other people who don't live the way I live aren't right. This idea of self-righteousness. Or they, maybe they set up a standard of righteousness, right? And, but they set it up in a way that this is easy for me to keep. And so then they live according to all those standards. Again, they judge, as it says here, they despise. They look down on the other people who don't live by their standards. Because self-righteousness is really a bad thing, isn't it? It's an ugly thing. It's, it's as Jesus told the, the lead, rule of the synagogue, hypocrite. It's hypocrisy in so many ways. Well, let's, let's just talk a little bit about five marks of self-righteousness. Five different marks of self-righteousness. And the first one is this, that self-righteous people work against God. So the first story we read, here's Jesus in the synagogue, right? He sees this woman and and he heals her. It's miraculous. God is being glorified. And if you look in verse 14, look in verse 14 of chapter 13. Go ahead, look there, would you? Jesus has healed this woman. God is being glorified. And the very first word in verse 14 is what? Someone look, can you say it? But, well, let me say this. When God is being glorified, any but is a bad thing. It is. Because how, can there, how should there ever be a but to the good things that God is doing? There isn't. And, and so we see him right away, but he's in opposition. So he is working against God and what God is doing here. And that's what self-righteousness leads people to do. It's a mark of self-righteousness. The second mark is this. Self-righteous people feel compelled to prove their superiority or the superiority of their views and how they approach this issue. Because here's the deal. Here we are in the synagogue. This, this man, he has this, all this figured out and what's right and acceptable and what's not. And, and, and Jesus has just gone against it in front of everybody. Well, do you suppose these people knew what the ruler of the synagogue was like and what he thought about things? You suppose they knew? Yeah, because that was really important to him. And so he feels compelled. He has to do what? I got to correct this. I have to to prove that I am right here. And self-righteous people have a tendency to do that. When when they find themselves in a situation where uh, someone... Is, is saying something different than they would say. You know, presenting something as, as acceptable that they would say is unacceptable, they can't live with that. They, they are compelled to have to say, that, no, 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 no. In fact, I just think it's really interesting if we read this story, how did he do this? He didn't say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't think you should heal on the Sabbath. What'd he do? It says he turned to everybody else and said, six days you can get healed, not Sabbath. I mean. I mean, this is, how how would you describe that? You know, he's making a show of himself, isn't he? He's trying to reestablish his place here because who is the superstar at the moment? Jesus is the superstar, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, right, he's the one who was, wow, look at this. And here's the ruler of the synagogue who's self-righteous. He's been, for however long, bringing this to himself. All of a sudden, this is at risk, and so he, has compelled, he can't let that go because he has to be this. 
And it's interesting, in Proverbs, a couple verses from Proverbs, it says that the wise don't make a show of their knowledge, but fools do what? Broadcast their foolishness. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. And this man thought, my opinions are what matter. My opinion's what counts here. And he was compelled to have to air it. Now, as we consider this idea of self-righteousness, what we see is that people, as it says right there in the text when it's talking about the two men praying, uh, he, he, Jesus is telling this parable to people who thought that they were righteous in themselves and they did what? They despised others. They looked down on others. What are they doing? They're comparing themselves to other people and comparing other people to them and they're making comparisons like this and they're determining the righteousness by, by uh, com- making comparisons on this level. I-, I just bet if I ask you today, can you think of anybody today that you're better than? That you do a better job of living as a Christian than? Could you think of somebody? I mean, could you, could you think of someone that you say, well, I know I, I don't do that, <laughs> and they do. You're all kind of looking at me like, I don't know if I want to answer that question. <laughs> See, trying to catch me, no, I'm really not. I'm trying to get you to see that. And you can also look around and probably see all that. You can think of someone who you think lives the Christian life a lot better than you do. Can you think that? Right? And so we can make those kind of comparisons, but the scripture warns us about those kinds of comparisons. The apostle Paul was being challenged uh, by people who were self-righteous and who were holding themselves up as something. And, and he says with kind of a little bit of a sarcastic attitude almost in 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, he says this. He says, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. It doesn't make sense to do that. But this is what, uh, this is a mark of self-righteousness, that a tendency to compare ourselves with other people. Another mark is this, self-righteous people will twist the truth to protect their turf. They'll twist the truth to protect their turf, if need be, okay? They don't take an outright stand against the truth, but they'll take the truth and use it and, and, and make it say kind of what they want it to say. Consider this. I mean, he, the ruler of the synagogue said, six days God has given you to work. And then there's a the Sabbath. Was he right? Was he right? Absolutely right. But here's the twist. He missed the intent, which is really pretty clear in Scripture for the Sabbath. Yes, honor God. But God gave the Sabbath and he gave it for a reason. Just give me one, give you one small example. It's back in the book of Exodus, chapter 23. It says, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But on the seventh day, you must stop working, okay? This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. This also allows your slaves and the foreigners living among you to be refreshed. Why did God give the Sabbath? for the well-being of people, to help people, even not just the people, but the what? The livestock. I mean, boy, there's a lot we could learn here, isn't it, about our own lives, that it's good to have a time to rest and refresh and that we need to do that in our relationship with God too. But the purpose of the Sabbath was to be a blessing. 
And Jesus said about this in Mark chapter two, he says, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You get that, right? God, God gave you the Sabbath to help people, not to hurt people, not to be used against people. And that's exactly what the synagogue leader was doing, wasn't he? The self-righteousness, hypocrisy. And then there's another one, another mark of self-righteous. Self-righteous people devalue something that God highly values, and that's people. And we know God highly values people, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that he loves and values people. Uh, and there's a second one that's, that's uh, very similar, that's very closely connected. Self-righteous people care more about being right than meeting people's needs. Now, let me camp on this one for a little bit. Like I said, these two are related. But that second one especially. Care more about being right than about meeting people's needs. Um, I think for Bible-believing Christians that this is always a risk. It's always a risk for us because as Bible-believing Christians, what, what do we believe about the word? It's what? It's true. Everything that it tells us is right. And, and it's very, very important. And I would say that, you know, it, maybe especially as Baptists over the years, we've, you know, we're so strong on this and that, that we find ourselves, if we aren't careful, in a place where we can start caring more about what's right than about meeting people's needs. Uh, because is it important that we are right about who Jesus is? How important? Very important that we are right about who Jesus is. Is it very important that we're right about that the word of God is indeed the word of God? Is that important? Very important. Is it very important that we understand how we are saved, what the gospel says about how we get our sins forgiven, have eternal life? Important? Very important. How about moral issues and, and what's right and wrong and how we live our lives? Is it important that we get that stuff right? Is it? Yes. And, and but so what happens is, is that we get this mentality that it's so important to be right. And, and it is important to get it right, but here's what happens. We can find ourselves then in positions where we start to feel like that we have to choose being right over meeting somebody's needs and helping them. Now let me tell you how this kind of originates. Uh, back at the end of the 1800s into the early 1900s is when the rise of a lot of what we would call liberal Christianity came into being. Liberal Christianity and, and not believing that the Bible is really inspired, you know, it's good stuff there, but it's not inspired. Uh, that Jesus may or may not have really risen from the dead. I mean, these kinds of things. And they made a transition away from preaching that gospel to now meeting people's needs, feeding people, clothing people, helping the sick, taking care of, it got called the social gospel. Because they left out the idea of you're a sinner who needs a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Left that out, but we're gonna love and we're gonna care. And, and so there was this real tendency in, in Christianity, understandably so, for those who believe the Bible to do what? Say that's not right. But what happened was this tendency then to start to focus more and more on what's right and somehow or other leave behind the 
social gospel. Are, are, this, are you tracking with me on this or what happened? Okay, and so that has happened in Christianity at large, but also it can happen in our own lives. It's, it's, it's very possible that it can happen in our own lives. And so here's, here's what I think, is when we find ourselves in a situation where we feel this tension of, well, wait a minute, you know, I gotta choose what's right here. Yeah, I know that that means this, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm maybe hurting this person or I'm not, and we find ourselves feeling like we have to make a choice between helping the person or sticking to what's right. Let's talk about this tension for just a little bit. And I'm gonna paraphrase a, a, an account from the scriptures when someone came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers and says, love God with your whole being and your, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, well, Jesus, wait, no. Which one's the greatest of those two? And Jesus says, love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. But, but wait a minute, that's, that's two different things. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so wait, now, so let me get it. Are you trying to say that love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. I would say to you that when we find ourselves struggling with thinking that we have to make a choice between holding on to what's right and loving people and helping them, there's something we're not understanding. There's something we're not getting. Would you like to know what it is? Me too. So I tell you is what we need to do is we just need to embrace the tension. And if it's time to help somebody, we need to help them. If it's time to, to focus on being what's right, we need to focus on being what's right. And so when we feel like we have to choose between being right and helping someone, you don't. And so we're just gonna have to live with that tension. That's what God calls us to. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, so he's seen these marks of self-righteousness. I, I, I say this to you often, so I'm gonna say it again. Like, like I've noticed, Paul says it, Peter says it. I wanna remind you, I know I've told you, I wanna remind you, I wanna remind you again. When we're here and we're opening the word of God and we're talking about things like this, we're not just wanting to say, oh yeah, those people out there, right? In fact, that kinda of sounds like self-righteousness, doesn't it, a little bit? No, we want to say, yeah, those people out there, but what about, actually, what about this person right here? Is there any self-righteousness in my life? Is there any self-righteousness in your life? You know, maybe just a place, maybe one issue, maybe it's big. Let's, let's, let's work through a few questions here. And if you, you answer yes or maybe to any of these, you just might have some self-righteousness in your life that needs to be addressed, okay? Here's the first one. Is there anything you tend to rationalize in your own life but condemn in others? In other words, right, you, you always have a good reason for why you did it, but they're wrong. Is there any of that in your life? How quick are you to judge and condemn people who struggle with a problem you've never had. 
In other words, you're very understanding with people who share your struggles, but others, not so much. Do you ever feel a sense of pride that you're not like certain other kinds of people? Do you find yourself feeling like you usually know better than others around you? When someone holds a different position on issue than you do, and they're making a good case for it, do you feel compelled to prove they're wrong? And I understand, some of these questions, you know, you may relate to others, you may not. That's all right, Let's, we wanna be open before God here. Have you ever knowingly ignored something you knew was true in order to win an argument? In other words, you left out that part of the truth because it was inconvenient to your position? Have you ever hurt someone to stop them from messing up your life? This is what was going on with the ruler of the synagogue, right? His life was getting messed up here. Have you ever told a lie, stretched the truth, twisted the facts to keep, uh, keep people and your life under control? Have you ever been self-righteous about people who are self-righteous? Ooh, that one's kinda, did you understand it? Have you ever been self-righteous about people who are self-righteous? You know, at least I'm not like them. Have you ever been legalistic about legalistic people? Have you been judgmental about judgmental people? Have you been harsh about harsh people? Have you felt like you know better than those people who ought to know better? Now, this doesn't mean that you don't make judgments about some things that are right and wrong. It's about something much deeper. It's about your heart. It's about what's going on in your heart as you make those judgments. You know, what are you getting out of those judgments that you're making? What are you getting from it? So if you answered yes or maybe or a little bit to any of these questions, there might be a root of self-righteousness in your life. And I always try to write those questions in a way that challenges me, and I've been challenged. Something we need to know about this, though. Really, we're talking about getting to know Jesus better. Jesus hates self-righteousness. He doesn't hate self-righteous people. He loves them, died for them, wants to save them, but he hates self-righteousness. And we know this for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, because in that first story with the ruler of the synagogue, Jesus, after the ruler of the synagogue says his piece about six days, don't come to be healed on the Sabbath, and with no concern about this woman at all, Jesus calls him what? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. The Greek word for hypocrite means an actor playing a role. It's not the real you. You're a fake. Jesus reserved this word. This is the harshest term he really calls people. Hypocrite. Jesus hates self-righteousness because of what it does to people, what it does to the person who is self-righteous and what it does to other people. I mean, think about it. This self-righteousness of this synagogue leader and that mindset said what? The donkey's more important than the woman. That's where it led to. Jesus hates that. 
Second reason he hates self-righteousness is because self-righteousness preserves unrighteousness. This man who's self-righteous and prays himself, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this and I'm not like that guy, very self-righteous. Really, he's unrighteous, isn't he? Are you with me on that? Proclaims himself to be self-righteous, but in reality, he's not righteous. But because he's self-righteous and he's convinced himself and he's living this way, when he's done praying, he goes home and he's still what? Still unrighteous. Still unrighteous. The, the one who said, man, am I a sinner? <laughs> I need you, God. He goes home righteous. And so Jesus hates self-righteousness because it preserves unrighteousness in people's lives. So how do we deal with this? If we've, we've seen self-righteousness in our lives, and Jesus hates it, it doesn't belong, we know this. What, what do we need to do? Well, here's what you need to do. You need to work on this. Keep comparing yourself to God and his standards, not to other people. Keep comparing yourself to God and his standards, not to other people. Now, now remember what Paul said about people who compare themselves to each other there. Second Corinthians chapter 10, Mary says, comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as standard of measurement. How ignorant, it, don't do that, it's foolish. So instead, we need to compare ourselves to the Lord and his standards. Isaiah did this. Isaiah chapter six. It starts off, I saw the Lord. And he is what? Holy. And then he heard holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And so Isaiah is seeing the Lord and he's seeing his holiness and he, he's seeing himself and he says this, he says, I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I am doomed. Do you see what looking at the standards of God did? It made him see his need, his unrighteousness. It humbled himself before God and he humbled himself before God and the end result here, he's told your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. You see, it's when we come before God and see what we're really like, and we respond with humility that we're in a place for him to do a great work in our lives, to forgive us. We've seen this verse many times, James 4, 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus hates self-righteousness. We need to become more like Jesus, don't we? And it's not about, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, we need to hate help, so, we need to hate self-righteousness wherever it appears, but we ought never hate self-righteous people, right? Uh, and so this is not about becoming a judge of others. I'm saying we need to help, say, can't say the words, hate self-righteousness and then make sure that that's not us, right? And the only way to do that is gonna be to continue going before God. And by the way, if you're here today and you think that somehow maybe you can be good enough to make it to heaven on your own, self-righteousness doesn't work. You don't have enough righteousness in yourself to do that. You, like all of us, have to come to understand that you know, we're sinners separated from God 
in need of a savior, that Jesus died for our sins, paying the penalty, rising again from the dead. And we gotta abandon our self-righteousness and, and, and turn to him for his. And so that's the starting point. But for all of you here today, you've already made that decision. Would you, would you take seriously this need to examine your life in, when it comes to self-righteousness? Man, there's just no place for it in us. No place for it. Not if we're gonna be like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that you challenge us about this kind of thing. And Lord, I know that uh, this is such an ugly thing that we don't particularly want to look for it in our own lives. But I pray, Father, we would be honest and open before you. That we would look into our own lives to see what we can see and we find self-righteous. I pray that we would humble ourselves before you, repent of it, turn away from it knowing you'll grant your forgiveness for it. And I pray, Father, that because we don't always do such a great job of evaluating ourselves, that you would work in our lives and make us aware of any self-righteousness that's there, that, that it won't have to be there anymore. And every time we see it, that we'll turn to you and away from it. I pray, Father, we'll be a people that's more and more like your son. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.